we had a few announcements for us today, and so just track, track along with me. First is, we, this summer we were having summer book clubs. And so what summer book club is an opportunity for you to meet some people and to go over um, a discussion over a particular book. There's some uniquely Christian books and some non-Christian books that will be going on. There's, um, there's 12 different book clubs, and I believe they're about four weeks long, and so not a huge time commitment. And they're meeting at different places, different times throughout the city. And so you can sign up for this at redemptionaz.com. We, we believe it's a great way for us to connect with one another and some learn with some things, um, learn some new things. The summer for us, as you guys know, um, even as a church, we kind of like kind of slow it down a little bit because it's one hot is, um, well, you know. And so, so the book club is a great way just to hang out with each other. Second thing we have is M25. Next week is Outward Focus Sunday and so M25 Sunday. And M25 we take from Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus says, when you've done these to the least of these, you've also done it to me. And so it's our ministry to care tangibly for the under-resourced and the marginalized within our community. And so we partner with Real Vista and Real Vista Center, which is an organization here in Tempe that helps provide in tangible ways, usually food, for the homeless people here in Tempe. And so we partner with them. And so the first Sunday of every month, we are bringing an item. And so the item that we want you to bring in next Sunday um, are, are crackers or wheat thins, chili cheese, wheat thins. This is what they had at Quick Trip. <laughs> But I promise you, someone's going to be like, yes, right? So saltine crackers, Ritz crackers, uh, wheat thins, gluten-free, free. I know some of you guys. Um, so whatever crackers you can bring, bring those next Sunday. We'll have the bins out front. You can drop it in and just be thinking about it. So that's next Sunday. Um, usually what happens is people forget. If you leave, just leave here today, um, you can go over to Creek Trip and you can buy yourself some chili cheese ones or you can go to the store, buy it, and then bring it in for next Sunday uh, to be able to tangibly bless the homeless in our community. Um, this next announcement is far more of a, a rolling announcement and something we've been in the process of and wanted to let you know where we are. For about the past year and a half to two years, we've been seeing a trend and the trend has been Morning services are, are uh, growing uh, numerically and, and in more than one way. And then our evening services have, have been growing in different ways. And so what we've seen is we used to have one service in the morning, and it was at 10 o'clock, and it was like pulling teeth to get people to show up in the morning. That's not the case anymore, right? Um, what we've seen, though, not with the 5, but primarily with the 7 o'clock service, is going, how are we going to continue to reach the campus of ASU? And that's been the question, because we do believe the responsibility to reach the families in the areas of here, um, in this particular area. That's why we think this location is great. It's not necessarily the best location for on-campus students, faculty, and staff. And so we've been thinking, what are unique ways in which we can reach the campus? Should we start a campus club? Should we do this? We happen to believe that all the campus ministries that are doing work at ASU, many of which who go to church here, are doing a phenomenal job. And so that wasn't the route. And just thinking through ways. And so for the past six months to a year, we've been praying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? During our 40 times of prayer, we're just saying, God, what, what would you have us to do in this area? And so we've thought of the idea of what if we took the 7 o'clock service and only the 7 o'clock service and we could meet somewhere on campus? Well, that thought came up, and we talked about it, talked about it. I was um, teaching at an event on campus maybe three or four weeks ago, and just were having conversations with several students that were just, don't go to a church because of proximity alone. So that was one. And the other one, I was in a meeting with President Crow, who's the president of ASU. And not that it was just me and President Crow. I call him up. We sit down. We talk. <laughs> what should we do next, right? <laughs> was, don't, don't, don't think like that. Think hundreds of people and me in the meeting, right? <laughs> 
And what he was talking about was his plan for the new American university, which is, you know, his vision and whatnot. And essentially, it basically is build more buildings as fast as you can and take away parking. Hasn't that kind of been the case? <laughs> That's kind of what it's been uh, in that part of Tempe. And so with that, though, it's, um, if you guys are familiar with a lot of the California school systems, they don't allow you to park. They want kids to bring cars to school. And so therefore, transportation is huge. The light rail, as well as most of the convenient bus routes, don't come to this particular location. And so with that... Me being on campus, having students saying, we, we need rides, it's either we figure out a way to get them here, or what if we can meet on campus? And so what we decided to do is saying, let's just go on a Monday and knock on a bunch of church doors. There's so many churches there that don't have night services that are in walking distance. So literally, we went over there and just start knocking on doors to several churches, Catholic centers, Jewish centers, Christian centers. We are like, it's just a building. I mean, we'll just use it. And so... With that, we met with First Congregational Church, which is an old white steeple church just next to the House of Tricks over there. So it's walking distance for campus, and they were said they were willing to go the next step and see what they can do to allow us to use it for the 7 p.m. service. So here's what I just said. Um, here's what I didn't say. We have a building that they're going to let us use. We're in process hoping that they will let us use it since they're not using it at all. Um, and they said they're willing to have the next conversations. We are hopeful that it's going to happen. We're asking you to be praying for that particular deal um, so that we continue to bless and reach families and so forth in the morning and have our 5 o'clock connected here, and then at 7 o'clock we'll be primarily reaching the campus. We've talked to several organizations as well as faculty and staff at ASU who are delighted and would want us to be there, um, and so we're looking forward to the possibility of that. And the other thing will be for that time. So here's what this, this is where you guys come to play. It won't affect you guys probably in the morning, but those of you who usually come to the 7, it will. Starting June 15th, we are taking a pause on our 7 p.m. service. From June 15th to tentatively August 24th, which is the first Sunday after school will start for ASU. And we're going to take that time. We will still meet as leaders and anyone who will be a part of a core team, which you'll hear more information about that, to serve over there. Because there's going to be a lot of work and a lot of service to happen to make sure that they're not just an event over there, but they're a part of our church. And so again, starting June 15th, 9 a.m., 10.45, and 5 p.m., there will not be a 7 p.m. service. I will come back week after week and give you updates on where we are about this. As of right now, what can you do? You can pray um, and ask that God will provide for this, that it would be easy for us just to use this space. They've been more than welcome in saying, hey, we're not using it, why not? Um, and then also for us logistically to be thinking about a core team of young 20-somethings that, are, that, that would be their mission field to be able to reach the students there. So that's what you just heard starting June 15th, no 7 p.m. service. Got it? Cool? All right. Appreciate the response. Um, <laughs> is now... Um, this month has been Redemption Kids Month. It's been amazing. We've seen some really, really cool videos, and we have one more video to show, one more All of Life interview, my favorite video so far. Would you guys direct your eyes to the screen? This is Micah, once your average Christian boy, now looking to do more with his life and serving his community by signing up for children's ministry. Once Micah completes the application and goes through a background check, he is ready to start his training. Good job, Micah. With his mind alert and his body healthy, he is now ready to begin training. When Micah first joined up, he was just like your other friends, the guy next door, or even you yourself. But he learned. He learned about all kinds of situations, all those individual skills to make Micah sure of himself when he takes the pledge in becoming a children's ministry volunteer. 
Here we see Micah performing his basic duties as a children's ministry volunteer, welcoming children into the classroom, reading for story time, taking the children to music, encouraging children to become involved in an activity, crafting with the children, and most importantly, snack time. <laughs> Micah learned about leadership and how to get the best out of it. And above all, he learned as much from the children as they learned from him. Because Children's Ministry trains each and every one of the volunteers individually, Children's Ministry gives each and every one confidence in themselves as leaders. Be ready. Be trained. Be a Children's Ministry volunteer. Before I bring Caitlin on on stage, what I want to be able to say is, one, um, we have a few guys who volunteer their time to be able to make these videos. And so these guys do professional work. Um, They have jobs and families and so forth, and they volunteer. And all those videos we saw for the past four weeks, they did those in the last month, and they did an incredible job. So you guys thank them for that. All right, without further ado, I'm going to invite up Caitlin Anderson. So put your hands together for Caitlin. So um, this is Caitlin Anderson. She's easily the hardest working play- per- player. I'm a coach now. <laughs> She's the hardest working player on this team. If we can get more athletes like her. Um, Caitlin works here on staff. And so why don't you tell everybody your role here at Redemption? Yeah, so I'm the Redemption Kids Director, which means I oversee all of the Redemption Kids ministry here. Uh, from our preparation and creation of our sermon-based curriculum to the training and scheduling of all of our volunteers. So we pushed this month, Redemption Kids Month, and it's been incredible. Um, And part of it is to highlight what we're doing outside of this room on a Sunday, but also to increase the awareness of our need for volunteers. Why do we need volunteers? We need volunteers because our children's ministry is growing like crazy, obviously. Um, And the amount of volunteers that we're adding isn't keeping up with the number of new families that are coming to our church every week, which means that in order to maintain our safety ratios in our classrooms, We have to turn families away every single week because our classrooms are full. That means that those kids don't get to sit in our classrooms and listen to that uh, lesson for the day. Their parents usually don't get the opportunity to come and sit in the sermon and hear their sermon for the day. And so those families just end up going home. And so we need more volunteers so that more families can be uh, accepted into our classrooms and we never have to turn a family away. Okay, so what does it look like to be a volunteer with, with Redemption Kids? Yeah, to be a volunteer, it can look a number of different ways. Um, I think Micah gave a pretty good example of what it looks like to be a volunteer. Uh, We won't make you do push-ups, though. But you can uh, serve once a month, up to three times a month. You can serve in any age of classroom. We have classrooms from nursery up to elementary. Um, And then we also have non-classroom positions, like helping with our check-in as a welcoming director. That's good. Okay, so we want to sign up. How do we sign up? Yeah, to sign up. Um, You just go to the Connect Desk, just like Micah did in the video, grab an application and fill it out. The application might look a little bit overwhelming, but take the time, uh, about 15 minutes, fill it out, and then you'll drop it back off at the Connect Desk. Once we receive your application, we'll get you started on the process. We're not going to take you and throw you into a classroom. That first, uh, the first day we receive your application, we're going to give you lots of training and preparation so that you feel confident when you walk into our classrooms. That's really good. Thanks. Hey, you guys, one, one thing I want to add to that, what Caitlin just said earlier, I hope you guys heard that. So and mainly at this service, 1045, and some of you have experienced it, where you've shown up probably late, which is usually when we show up here, and 
you check your kid in and there's not enough room. And there may not be anything worse that can happen on a Sunday than for a new, and it's usually a new family. That's just how it works, right? Someone shows up, first time I'm going to check out this church, and then they told me that there's no space for my kid. And that you, you take that really personal. So there's a couple things I want to be able to do. One, if that's been you, we apologize. Um, for the rest of this, we have to sign up in order for that to happen. We have to volunteer for that to not to happen anymore. Um, and then the third thing that can happen is some of you, it would be really, really good and encouraging for you guys to check out this thing we call the 9 a.m. service. Um, and then we can kind of have a, a different balance here in the morning time. So just be thinking of that. Here's what I want to do. Would you guys stand up with me? We're going to pray for Caitlin. Um, we're going to pray for the volunteers, the staff. But more importantly, we're going to pray for the children that are there, that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be coming to bear um, on their lives, and, um, and they would begin to receive and trust in Jesus. So would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for the gifts you give your church. And as we begin to even open up the scripture this morning and talk about that, we thank you that you give gifts to your people. I thank you for the leadership, the ability to train and teach that you've given Caitlin, for the vision that you've given her, Lord, for this ministry, and how she's led it faithfully for these past 10 years, God, and how this ministry is growing in children, it is growing in depth, and how she cares about the truth of the gospel coming to bear on children. God, I pray for the volunteers, for the staff, for all those who are involved in, in aiding parents as we disciple and are called by you to disciple our children. We pray that the Spirit of Christ would enlighten, open up the eyes of our children, from the youngest to the oldest, that they would be, begin to see, trust, follow Jesus Christ, that they would be witnesses as well in, in their schools and their homes and their neighborhoods, God, that all of life would be all for Jesus as well for them as it is for us, God. We thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing in this church, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you guys thank Caitlin again? You guys can go ahead and have a seat. We're going we're gonna, to um, jump into the series. And so we got a new series we're starting. Um, and as we start that, why don't you guys take out your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, keep it raised really high and so someone will be able to see you and then get you a copy of a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy in which we are handing out so that you can grow an understanding of God's Word. Now, this is the last series that we'll have before we get back into Romans. And so we had five weeks, and here's what we did. Um, this is unique to us here in Tempe. Um, normally, we teach the same sermon series as all the other congregations, but we said, let's get five weeks to, be, to do something unique with your own congregation. And so what we did is we sent out um, emails and all those things and, um, for you guys to email in your questions that you have. Because when you teach through books of the Bible, what happens is you don't hit every single topic. We are normally and will always be a church that primarily teaches through books of the Bible. We believe that's the best way to effectively communicate God's truth. However, we're not afraid of, or nor are we, um, to do topics. And so we have five topics that you all text in. We took them all together, the top five. Um, first, this week we'll do spiritual gifts. Um, next week will be something around singleness um, and dating and a bunch of questions underneath there. Shocker. Oh, we got a lot of those. And then... We also have marriage, and so we'll look at what does it look like to be in a covenant relationship. And then um, we also have um, how to handle hard texts. You know, when you read through the Bible and you, you see things like slavery and you see things like head coverings and you see kind of random things like in, in the Old Testament where this bear comes and mauls these kids, and you're like, when are we going to do that? Right? And so, um, so anyways, and so how to handle hard texts. And then lastly, end times. And so those will be the five uh, topics that we'll teach through, through this, and we're going to have some fun with it. And so for this week and next week, what I want to be able to do, well, let me back up real quick. When it comes to singleness and marriage, if you're not single, don't think that next week is like, oh, it's not for me. You know, I, I passed, right? Uh, no, right? <laughs> There's no passing, right? 
And then if you're single and you're not married, please come to that one. I still believe to this day, I've been married seven years this July, that most of what I learned in marriage from a teaching perspective, because you really can't learn about it until you're married, came from sitting through a seven-week series on marriage at a church that I was a part of when I was 22 years old, not even thinking about getting married. It's very, very helpful. Um, So anyways, we'll do that. So today and tomorrow, here's my plan. Not tomorrow, next Sunday. Here's my plan is that we are going to, I'm going to teach for about roughly 20 minutes. I'm on the clock. They'll let me know in the back. And then we're going to have some texting questions. And so there should be a number that goes up on the screen to my right and to your left. Um, that you, there we go. And then essentially as I'm teaching, any other questions you guys have, because there was a lot of questions with spiritual gifts. So I'm going to use a big paintbrush and teach some big ideas about spiritual gifts and then facilitate those questions. And then we'll kind of roll from there. Cool? There we go, good. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's, let's, let's get in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you turn there, let me give you some background. This letter was written to a church that's in Corinth. Um, Corinth was a major city, was a port. So if you can think New York, if you can think San Francisco, um, a lot of different realities, ethnicities, cultures, beliefs, and so forth. So think of major city. Well, the gospel was planted there, and people began to believe in Jesus, and there was a church. And this particular church start to do things in ways that were inconsistent to gospel living. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, same person who wrote Romans, he wrote two letters that we have recorded here in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. The letters were highly corrective, meaning if you read and you listen to the tone of Paul as he writes, it's saying you're doing it this way, it ought to be done this way. And so we pick up in chapter 12, which chapter 12, 13, and 14 are primarily about spiritual gifts. And he's not saying let's get rid of the spiritual gifts. He's saying let's use them for this purpose and this purpose alone. And so for the sake of our time this morning, what I want to be able to do as we talk about spiritual gifts is talk about three things. One, who's the provider of spiritual gifts? Um, Number two is what are the purposes of spiritual gifts? And then number three, what is the power of spiritual gifts? So the provider, the purpose, as well as the power. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, To another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one of the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. When it comes to spirituality or spiritual things or encounter with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, um, I remember the first real encounter that I can sense Um, with the Holy Spirit. This was before I had fully accepted Jesus or trusted in Christ. Um, I I believe as I was a junior in college, and um, I was going back to California for a bachelor's party. Um, I'm not a Christian, and so think a non-Christian bachelor's party, right? Before Jesus, B.C., all of that, right? And so 
when I get back home, my mom's like, hey, there's this pastor in town. They're having a revival. And I don't know what type of church you grew up in, but we used to have, like, in different churches around our area, they'd have these revivals, which is interesting. You can never plan a revival, by the way. That's just when the Spirit does something. But they would have these revivals, and they'd have these different preachers, usually from Oklahoma or Louisiana or something like that, would come in and preach all night long. Like, you would never get a flyer, and it would say, like, from 7 p.m. to 8.30. It's like, starts at 6. You know why? Because that mug would go as long, as long as it could go until the Spirit showed up. And so my mom's like, why don't you come first before you go to your party? And I'm like, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll do that. And so I got my buddy David to go with me, and we got in there, and it's this tight, small room. It's packed, no AC. It's just a bunch of fans rolling around, sweating, right? When the preacher's up there, and he's bringing it, right? I have... I have yet to officially step into the phase of being an official black preacher until I start sweating. <laughs> and when I do, one of these days, we're going to turn this AC off, and I'm going to be up here just getting it, right? <laughs> just wait. <laughs> you guys are going to fill it. <laughs> so, so I'm in this room, and this guy starts preaching from Daniel chapter 5. And if you're not familiar with Daniel chapter 5, there's this scene Um, where there's this party going on, and all of a sudden, this hand shows up, and it's just a hand, and begins to write something on the wall. And clearly, when a hand shows up in a party, it stops the whole party, right? And this guy just paused, and he kept screaming, the party is over! And he's sweating, and he's flexing, and the whole, I mean, the party is over! And and meanwhile, me and my friend are like, when is this sermon going to be over, right? Because we have to get to the party we're trying to go to. Then the preacher stops. And he kind of changes his voice, and he goes, some of you right now are going to a party tonight, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and you're waiting for this to be over because you can't wait to get to your party. You showed up thinking you were just going to go to a church service and then immediately go to a party. And I looked at my buddy David, I'm like, he knows. <laughs> and we're, we're kind of sweating because it's like, well, it's hot. And we're like, he's talking to us. It was the most, and then he just proceeded to say these things that we felt like all of a sudden we were the only two people in this room because it was like he was looking at us, he was saying it. I don't know if my mom, well, they don't know if they even had text back then, but I don't know if she told them or what. I don't know, but it was the first one. I felt like, man, I think God's talking to me. So we left. I got, I got scared, to be honest with you. I got up and I left. Um, I didn't go to the party, <laughs> but I didn't stay in church. I just kind of just, we just hung out in the car, and we were both looking at each other. My buddy David was like, that was the weirdest thing in the world. I've never been to church. He showed me the church, and this guy's telling me about my life. I said, listen, I've been to church a lot. That never happens, right? (laughs) Man, I freaked out, right? It was a spiritual encounter. It was an experience, and I only want to say it was amazing. Honestly, it freaked me out. It was months later that I became a Christian, and that was the beginning of God working. You have these experiences with the Spirit. What Paul is talking about here to this church is he's saying that there are experiences, and there are unique, valid, good, godly experiences. But the gifts in themselves is not primarily about an experience. It's not neglecting an experience that you have, but but the gifts in themselves are from God. And it's something that God is doing to further his particular mission in his world. And not only are they from God, the purpose is not for us to boast in ourselves, because that's what was happening here in the church in Corinth. But the gift in themselves are to serve the people around us. And then how we function in these gifts, it's not powered by our unique talents or abilities. It's powered by God himself. He's the provider. The purposes are completely for others. And he's the power that's behind it. And so that's what we'll, we'll pick up today 
and then hopefully get a better understanding, or for some of us, maybe the first time, a clear biblical understanding of spiritual gifts. Obviously, this could take a whole series, but we're going to do it in just a few moments, all right? First point is the provider of the spiritual gifts. If you read with me in verse 4, it says, Now there are the varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. You see something that's here? Not oftentimes do you see in Scripture where you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where you see the Trinity at work. In verse 4, you see it's the Spirit. In verse 5, it says Lord, the word kairos, which is often used to speak of Jesus. And then when you get to verse 6, it says God. And the Greek there is Theos, which is usually God the Father. So you have the Spirit, you have the Son, and you have the Father. Communicating one, there's diversity within gr- and, and gifts, just like there's diversity within the triune God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and so forth. But there's also unity. They're one. And so the provider of this gift is not just the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes you think it's the, only the Spirit that gives the gifts, as if the Spirit, the Spirit is rogue. And the Father and the Son have nothing to say in, in the process of it. It's not, 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 that's not the case. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the same way when it comes to salvation. It's the Father who appoints it. It's the Son, Jesus, who does the work to accomplish salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit who applies it to our life. And when it comes to the gifts that God gives, he is the one who's the provider. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they give gifts to the church. And when you understand um, redemptive history, what God is doing, we have to understand what part are we in in this great narrative of redemptive history. We have the Old Testament where God created sin into the world. We see the prophets. We see the nation of Israel that's to bear witness. We see Christ coming, him living, dying, him being raised and ascending unto heaven, and then sending the Spirit. And that's where we enter into the church in this new covenant age. And in this, in this day in which we respond to the gospel of Christ Jesus, that we are to be witnesses in what we say, And what we do, it's why we stress so much the importance of your vocation. We stress the the importance of your recreation, the the importance of all your your life being under Christ because we are um, an example, a witness of what God is doing, Jesus' mission in this world. Now, the way that this happens is Jesus leaves. Jesus embodied all the gifts. We don't embody individually all the gifts. And so he gives the church that gift or many gifts And that when we work together, we're able to function the way that we ought to. But first and foremost, as we live this, we have to understand they come from God. They're not something that we can muster up. We can't think really hard to get a gift. We can't practice really hard to get a gift. They're from him. Therefore, it should humble us. It should humble us. Because realize no matter what your gift may be, no matter what capacity you may be able to operate within your gift, that no matter how good you are, no matter how many people say, wow, I, that really ministered to me, or that really helped me, no matter how many who said it or didn't say it, it wasn't about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about redemption. It's about God. It's about what God is doing in this world and how we get to partner up with him by invitation and command. And he gives us these gifts. And so, therefore, it should humble us. Humble us. No one gets to where they are apart from God. Amen. There, there is um, a couple examples I have for this. One, there's this book that I really, really love, read a few summers ago called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And, um, and the book in itself is the story of success. And what Malcolm Gladwell tries to do in this book is debunk the uh, American idea of the self-made man, that we become who we are successfully because of all the hard work we have. And his whole point is stripping down from athletes to entertainers uh, to people in the tech guru world and just saying, 
these people worked really hard. They were really smart. However, if they didn't have X, Y, and Z happen in their life, they would have never been able to get to the point or where they are. It's a very fascinating book. Very, very intriguing. And you see that. Oh, Bill Gates becomes Bill Gates because of the year that he was born in, the people that are around him, the opportunities that he had. He's just not Bill Gates on his own. Something had to happen. Another example of this is if, I know you guys, many of you may not final, follow uh, the NBA. Uh, really, it's not even worth while that much. However, there was an MVP acceptance speech by Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is a basketball player in the NBA, okay? So Kevin, Kevin Durant is, um, he, he's as this acceptance speech for becoming the most valuable player. And if you just YouTube Kevin Durant uh, um, acceptance speech, you will start crying about three minutes and 47 seconds into it. So I've heard. So, like, there's, there's, there is, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, you never see athletes, you see athletes doing this, right? You, I mean, what he did in this, like, 30-minute interview, you can watch the five-minute version, is he just goes down the line and thinks every single person who got him, I mean, he's thanking people like, oh, Grandma, thank you for picking me up after third grade that one time and giving me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Thank you. I would have never been here without you. And he just goes down the line, every teammate, every friend, everybody in his life, and then he gets to his mom, right? And he goes, Mom, you're the real MVP. You lose it at that moment, right? <laughs> you lose it. You can't help it, right? Here's the guy. He's the best basketball player in the earth, right? And all he's saying is, I never would have been able to be the best basketball player if it wasn't for all these people. Listen, we cannot be the church and function as the church that God's called us to function as if we don't, underst- if we don't first understand the provider. Our provider is God. Anything we do has to be from him and is because of him. We don't take any credit for anything positive that happens in this deal because everything we have, every gift we have, everything that we have, it comes from God. He is the provider of spiritual gifts. Amen? You're not born with spiritual gifts. They're given to you from God. The second point is not just who's the provider, but what are the purposes of the spiritual gifts? If you look at me with me in verse 7, here's what Paul says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When he says to each, he's saying every single one of you, Every single one of you who trust in Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. You, you have a gift mix. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, you have probably more than one or two spiritual gifts that are three or four that are mixed together, whatever that may be. But each one of you, you have one, and it's been given to you by the Holy Spirit. You weren't born with these things. Um, born, born with are natural talents, things that God ultimately gives you, but you just have whether you believe in Jesus or not. This is for everyone who has trusted in Christ. Each one who has, there's been now a manifestation, meaning it looks different in different people. Um, There's some people who have gifts that are a lot, um, so people have gift of teaching, they can teach the thousands, some people can teach the children. People who have the gift of administration, they can organize for smaller groups, some people can organize for a whole company or organization or country or so forth. They have these spiritual gifts that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying the purpose of these gifts, though, is not to boast you up. It's not to get you a job. It's not to get you anything. The purpose of these gifts is for the common good. It's consistent with Christianity. It's about God and your neighbor. So everything you have is not about how can you internalize it for yourself. What we've done is we've individualized everything. What are my gifts? What are this? How do I use this? How do I find my calling? How do I? And it's I, I, I. When the gifts is, God is saying, here's my church. Here's the gifts. Um, some people are going to have this gift, and other people are going to have this gift. When it functions together, it looks really, really good, and it begins to bless and build up the church, God's people who trust in Jesus, and it begins to care for the people outside the church. 
that it's witnessing and it's an example and it's furthering the mission of Jesus Christ. That means we are connected to him as the head of the body. In fact, if you continue to read down in 1 Corinthians here, Paul is going to give this, this imagery of a body. And he says, some of you are an arm, some of you are a leg. Just play your part. And what happens because of gift envy is we don't want to play our part, right? There's some parts of the body we're like, I'm not feeling, I don't want to be that part, right? I want to be another part. That, <laughs> you get it, right? So there, there, there is a sense, whatever, whatever gift makes God give you, you play that. And when you play that part in caring for others, the church is actually built up. And that's not just the church across the world, that's even locally. Um, if there's any fragmentation, if there's any limping, so to say, in our body, it's because we have a lot of people that are, that are fragmented. The unity is coming together, it's serving with each other, it's being with each other. Some of you, like Sundays is it. It's a touch and go. You drive in here, go to a service, drive out of here, and no one knows you, no one knows your name, and, and you're okay with that. That's not good. That's not good. Um, we're called to be the church. That's it, to be in the life of people. The only way we're going to be built up, the only way we're going to have these gifts um, recognized, acknowledged, cultivated, grown, and used is as we do life together within community. And when that happens, we begin to build up the church and we're a blessing to the people around us. We said this a couple of weeks ago. The church is the only organization that does not, does not only exist for itself, the only institution that not only exists for itself, but also those who are not a part of it. And that's us being together, united together, and loving God and loving the world amongst us. And so the provider, God, the purpose, to build up the church and to further God's mission, to see the flourishing of the community and ultimately God's kingdom around us. Lastly, power. Um, where does the power come from? He lists a bunch of gifts here, um, and he gets to verse 11, and he says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Some of you may or may not be familiar with the phrase the deism. Um, what deism is, deism is the belief in God that says that God is uh, essentially the watchmaker. And if you think about a watch, that there's someone who makes a watch, and once the watch is made and it's functional, is done with it. And that person does not enter back in into the watch at all. I mean, that person's not a part of it. You have a watch on today. Whoever made your watch is no longer a part of it at all. And saying, essentially, the way that people view spiritual gifts is in a very deistic way. That God gives the gifts, and he kind of just kind of walks away, and it's up to you to cultivate them. And then God's just saying, hey, they're yours now. You deal with what you want to do with them. I gave them to you. And that's not the way the Bible teaches it at all. You see Paul telling Timothy that he should fan into flame the gifts that God has given him. Um, you see him in saying encouraging and build up one another. These are, these are saying that God himself, when it comes to the gifts, he never gets detached not only does he empower, but he energizes them. Meaning he's constantly at work in us working these gifts to build up the church to ultimately bless the people around us. And so for myself, I have an idea of what my gifts may be, but every single time that I get up on stage, every time, every time, my prayer is usually something like this. God, give me the gift of preaching, of teaching, and of prophecy. Every single time I get up. Here's why. I ask for the gift of preaching because I, I believe that there's something inherent, inherently good, with the preaching of God's word that's different from teaching. So it's not just the articulation of God's word, but it's, it's, the, it's on the moment, in the spot, something that God is doing and a hostile takeover over the heart. Um, and teaching, because there are parts where you have to clearly, uh, clearly articulate what you are saying. I had to say that really slow because I almost didn't even get that out. <laughs> that's why I got to pray for it. <laughs> and then to be able to um, take God's truth and unpack it in a way that people can understand it. 
And then prophecy, because prophecy in itself, which is, which is uh, subjective to the word of God. It's not the word of God. It's a divine revelation in the moment for a congregation or a particular person, right? And I pray for that so that whatever it is, which so might be different from the 9 o'clock, different from the 1045, different from the 5, different from the 7. Personally, myself, it's one of the reasons why I hardly ever teach with notes. I do all of the work, and I pray the Spirit will take all the notes that I have that I've, that I've written down and use them, and there's different moments. It's just like that guy who was preaching um, at that service. because there's some of you right now. Who's about to go to a party? Oh, shoot, right? <laughs> God did something there. That guy didn't know. He doesn't know me. He don't know me, right? <laughs> and so... But that, that moment, he, he did that. And so when it comes to the empowering of gifts, it's the Spirit. It's constantly praying, constantly praying, God, give me these gifts, give me these, because they're his. <laughs> they're his. And so I'm asking him if he could work them through me for the sake of his body, for the building up of, of his people. So provider, God. The purpose is for the common good, building up the church and ultimately flourishing around us. And third, the power of the gifts. The power. Fan in the flames, recultivate for sure. The power comes from God and God alone. Amen? All right, we got a few questions in, are already in, and we're going we're gonna to run with it. And then you guys can just let me know when we have like two questions left and so I can mentally get it in my head. Um, what is the difference between natural talents and spiritual gifts? Okay, natural talents are God-given, parent-given talents, right? They're usually genetics. And so the easiest is you take a three-year-old boy and you give him a ball. And you take another three-year-old boy and you give him a ball. And the first three-year-old kind of like throws it, right? And it goes like two feet. And you're like, oh, good, little Johnny. And the other kid takes it and it's like, bam, right? And you're like, what the heck was that, right? And then you see his parents and his parents are all crossfit out and everything else. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? <laughs> that kid didn't need to believe in Jesus for that. His mama and his daddy are amazing, right? So natural talents are things that you were born with, right? They're still from God. The book of James, chapter 1, lets us know that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. And so those talents, it, those of you in this room who are not Christians, you have God-given talents. Whether you believe and acknowledge it or not, they're God-given talents, and they're beautiful. Some of you can write. Some of you can draw. Some of you can play music. Some of you can close a deal. Some of you guys could throw a football. Some of you guys can do amazing things, and they're, they're talents that God has given you that you've grown into, you've cultivated, and so forth. Many of you use them in the vocation that you're in right now, and it's a blessing. It really is. But that you have these gifts whether you trust in Jesus or not. Spiritual gifts are gifts that happen after conversion, meaning once you trust in Jesus and you become a Christian, you trust in his life on your behalf, and the Spirit gives you gifts that are primarily for the edifying of the church, and that is building up God's people and witnessing to who God is doing. Is there an overlap between the two oftentimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And can God empower the natural gifts? Can the Spirit come behind those for those who are Christians? Absolutely. I believe what David does musically, from a musical standpoint, is he takes, I'm not even going to try, he takes that guitar, I'm going to stay far away from it, um, he takes that guitar, and all the musicians up here, and Anna, who plays the flute, and so forth, and Daniel on the drums, everyone who's playing, they have talents. And I do believe the Spirit can use those talents. And he can use them in ways to bless people, athletically, artistically, and so forth. And so one is God-given by birth. The other one is God-given by being born again, if you think of it that way. How should we approach the topic of cessationism? First of all, some of you guys are like, ooh, what's that, right? Cessationism is the belief that certain gifts have ceased, right? They've stopped. And so um, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 which most of you guys have probably heard because it's at every wedding when it has nothing to do with wedding, but love in general, right? 
So you have all these, you have all these things, love is patient, love is kind, you guys know this. You get to verse 8, and it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. And then he goes on as a child, I think like a child, I reason like a child, and then I grew up. Um, and he says this, at the very, very, very end it says, for 13, for now faith, hope, and love abide all of these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, many theologians and smart people and wise men and women have said, you see that? It says prophecies will cease, tongues will cease, knowledge will cease, they'll cease. There are certain types of gifts that will cease when the perfect comes, it says. Now, their interpretation of the perfect coming, when I say there, clearly I just gave away what I don't believe. Um, their interpretation of, of, the, of the perfect is the full canonization of the scripture. Meaning when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians here that the Bible wasn't fully complete, but once the canonization was complete, then we no longer needed things like tongues, prophecy, and so forth. And so it ceased. That is not the view that we hold at redemption. Um, we are not anti, can you be a member of redemption and have a cessationist view that you believe they've ceased? Absolutely, because you're a Christian. Um, we believe that the perfect is the second coming of the perfect in Jesus. And that when Jesus comes, what will continue is the aim of spiritual gifts, is love. Because every spiritual gift is a foretaste of what will be. Knowledge is a foretaste of what it will be like to know God completely. Um, healing will be a, is a foretaste of what it will be like to be fully restored physically in the presence of God. Tongues in itself is a foretaste of what it will be like to be intimate and to be known and to know the language, to speak directly to God. And even in private prayer language tongues, of which we also affirm and sing that that in itself is an intimacy with God and interceding for others, which will be no need because we will be there with God. And so how do we approach the topic? You read the Bible, you come to the conviction that you have, not the conviction I just taught you. Read the Bible and see if you believe in the interpretation of saying that's, that, that means it ceased because he's saying that, or is he talking the perfect in Jesus? And um, this is something I had to wrestle with extremely, extremely hard. Um, and many people, again, um, hold this view uh, called sensationist, or the other view is continuation, they continue. And some people are like, I'm in the middle, somewhere in between. And one side says, well, the other side, the, the believe in the gifts, all the gifts, they're all about experience. They're all about experience. And then what I would say is, some of that is true. You have some people who only tell you experience and they do not back it up by the word of God, and that's very unhealthy. But on the flip side, you have people who are cessationists because of experience reasons too. Not because they've had experience, but because they haven't. Because they haven't had the experience, or can't be. No, no, no. What does the word of God say? Whether I feel it or whether I experienced it, the word of God has to be truth. Um, it's, it's, it's clear. It's, it's, um, it's living and active. It's authoritative, and that's where I would take my cues from. So that's how you approach it. Specifically, with the gift of tongues, if this is something you aren't currently gifted with, is it possible to learn or earn that gift from the Lord? No on the earning. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just, and that's not to make anyone who texts that in feel, you know, like, dumb or anything. You just don't earn gifts. They're gifts. They're freely given. Um, can you receive it? Paul says in, 13, in chapter 13 and 14, earnestly desire. Like, ask for them. So you can ask for them. That doesn't mean you're going to get them. You may get it, um, and then you have to ask the motives. Why am I asking for them? Do I want this gift? Because, you know, you have this vision. If I get this gift, it's going to be great. People are going to like me. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> um, 
Or do I want to, do I feel like God's calling me to, to just to bless people because I need it? Um, I need, I think I need to ask for the gift of teaching. <laughs> Bad, I need that, right? Um, and then there are moments where I do, I mean, there's been moments where I've asked for certain gifts in the moment, especially prophecy. Where you, especially if you're evangelizing to someone and you're on the streets or you're, in a, you're, you're just in a place and you're going, Lord, now I need, I need this gift. I don't have it. I don't know. And, um, and some of you have had that even in the moment. You, you ever talk to people and that all of a sudden the conversation of God comes up and you're speaking about and like, and you start quoting stuff from the Bible, like obscure passages that you haven't read in years and you walk away from that conversation. When did I read Ezekiel? Like, <laughs> how did that happen, Right? And the Holy Spirit is working in that moment. Whether he's gifting you in that moment or he's doing what Jesus said, in the moment he's going to give you the words. So when it comes to tongues, it's not something you can earn or any gift. It's nothing you can earn, but it's something you can ask for. I've prayed for the interpretation of tongues for the nine years I've been a Christian, and I've never gotten it. Um, and that's not to say just because I prayed for it and didn't get it, you, <laughs> you won't get it. or that, That's just to say you can pray for it, and I do pray for it. If someone says they are, give, they are giving a prophecy, how do we know if it's really from God? Okay, prophecy. In some of your denominations you might have grown up with, prophecy has been taught that it's equal with Scripture. It's not. Um, Scripture is the highest authority we have. Let me explain this. Peter, um, who walked with Jesus, who wrote First and Second Peter, has this incredible experience on the Mount Transfiguration where Jesus is temporarily glorified in that moment. Um, Elijah comes back. Uh, I believe Moses is there. These prophets who have died, and, and, and Peter, James, and John are sitting there, and they're witnessing this, and it's amazing, supernatural experience. Well, later, when he writes in, um, in, in his epistles, he says, we were there on the mountain. It was amazing. It was good. And he says, as good as that was, he says, we have something more sure, and that is the word of God. <laughs> Meaning, the Bible is the most sure thing that we have. Now, to answer that question of how do we, if someone came to me and said, I have a prophecy for you, I readily exceed, receive it. The Bible doesn't say, no, nah, if someone says it, they're crazy. No, no, no. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he goes, no, 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 just test it with the word. That's why it's massively important that we know the Bible. And so if someone says to me, hey, here's something God's revealing in your life, right? When I say that it's under scripture, sometimes God will give people a revelation for a single person or for a congregation or a group of people saying, God's revealing either some sin in your life or God is revealing something in your life that it's going to prosper you. It could be anything. You test it with scripture. God's calling you to do something. You test it with scripture. What is the word? That seems inconsistent. Or that seems about right. Because there can be error. When the people prophesy, they can say some things that absolutely come to pass and some that don't. I've had several people in my life prophesy over me. And one particular person I can think of, some of the things that she said were absolutely true. Those are all the things about were secret and sin I had in my life. And all the things she said that were going to actually seem like pretty cool things, those things didn't happen. <laughs> Honestly, so uh, she was right about the first one. Um, and, and not to say she was a false prophet. No, she wasn't a prophet. She spoke what she believed that God had given her. Um, I've had moments in my life like that, and I've said, okay, I sense God saying this. When I say I sense, that doesn't mean God is saying this. I sense it. I could be wrong. We could be wrong. And so you test it with Scripture. I've had people who say, I've had peace with God in my life, and God's telling me to divorce True story. Divorce my wife. Well, that's funny. Because God's telling me <laughs> not. But you shouldn't. What's happening there? So you test it with scripture, um, but don't be afraid of it. And if you say, I don't know if I have the tools and skills to do that, bring it to your elders. That's why God has us here in place, to care, shepherd, and guide you guys. Why don't we see many more supernatural gifts, healing, present-day prophetic words, speaking in tongues, 
speaking slash interpreting tongues. Um, well, there's no verse here that says this is why not. However, you take from the totality of Scripture and just sort of, um, I hope, some wisdom and just observation from my personal opinion on this. One of the reasons I think we don't see it as much. One, it is happening. It is. And happening even with this church, okay? Just because you don't see it in the service, this is not the only time where God moves. One, I do believe that Europe, Canada, America, we are deeply, deeply um, influenced by the Enlightenment. And so you think about just growing up. You learn the scientific method. And within the scientific method, true stuff, stuff that's true, capital T, only things that can be proven through a scientific method. And so we have in us, whether we like it or not, the culture's going to affect us. We have this in us that if, if belief is going to be belief, it has to be something that is completely empirical. And so things of the spirit, things that are unseen, that are untouchable, something that can't go through um, a science lab to be proven, we naturally have a resistance against that. Think about kids. Kids either wholeheartedly believe things or they question things. You see little kids, they, is it real? It's like the first question they'll ask. Is it real? Ah, uh, is that real? Is that, uh, I don't believe you, Dad. Uh, is it real? I think part of it is that. And so I think we have an unbelief when it comes to it. I think it's a lack of faith when it comes to things like that. Much like when Peter was la- walking on water and then he doubted God and he, and he went back into the water and he says, ah, oh, ye of little faith, like, believe me. Um, do we believe this? And do we believe that God does those things? The other thing is, I believe that um, part of it is, my good friend at, at Humber Village, our congregation in Phoenix, he always, uh, Josh Daly, he always talks about, and I love this, is that when you're on mission, the gifts will follow. The Spirit leads us on mission, in our vocation, in our lives, overseas, to people. Um, the, the Spirit leads us. When we're on mission, the, the gifts will follow. The problem is in the church is we're trying to follow the gifts while not being on mission. And so God is not advancing his church in those, those particular areas because we're chasing gifts from an individualistic side of things instead of doing what God's called us to do. You want to see God move? Start doing what he told you to do. Watch what happens. Just watch how he provides and watch how he shows up. And when you need him, especially in those moments, Lord, I need you to do these things. Thirdly is, a lot of it has to do with, I think, the, where the gospel has taken deep roots. I think it's interesting that it took roots in Europe, it took roots in North, North America in general, and then you see kind of this, this is kind of more of a church history deal, you see kind of it move west, and then now, what do you see it? It's Latin America, um, excuse me, South America and Africa and Asia, and you see the ex- explosions, and that's where you hear of all these stories, um, where many men I know that are cessationists who go and do work and teaching workshops in these countries and come back and go, okay, I've always had a cessationist view, but what I've seen on these mission fields are, I, I can't, I just can't deny what God is doing. And I believe that those are places that didn't have the gospel rooted deep and God is establishing and authenticating the gospel message and the witnessing of the church. And so that's one man's opinion of of why not, but they're happening. Two more questions. Why don't I hear people speaking in tongues during Sunday services? Um, About maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, um, I was praying at one of my messages and I heard someone speaking in tongues right over here. So not, not you guys. People far more spiritual. <laughs> um, <laughs> is, uh, and, and they were new to the church, and I just went to them afterwards and said, hey, you guys, this first time here. And I said, hey, just to let you know, um, I, I see that you guys, I hear you guys are speaking in tongues, and, and I do affirm that gift, and I think it's a, especially if it's a private prayer language. I said, however, um, we want to be in order because God is a God of order. He says that. Paul says that. One of the things he was doing in 1 Corinthians is he was saying, get in order, get in order. And he said, if someone's going to speak in, in a tongue, then there should be an interpreter. And if there's not an interpreter, that person to speak to God in private. 
And so therefore, you wouldn't see it here in the congregation unless we had an interpreter that someone said, oh, I interpret tongues. And so it's probably not something that would ever happen first in a Sunday service, nor should it, um, if it's not the way that God has um, ordained it in that area. But does it happen? Absolutely. And there's people here, there's people on your on your pastoral team that, that pray and speak in a tongue and, and pray for God to move in ways and God has, God has blessed it in amazing ways and healing ways and so forth. And so it's part of what God is teaching us to do through his word. We got one more question. How can I find and use my spiritual gifts at Redemption Tempe? Um, first, let me do a minor qu- correction real quick. With Redemption Tempe, because we were a people, not a place. Uh, I know it's ridiculous, <laughs> but uh, I had to do that. I have to do it. Um, and so how can I find and use my spiritual gifts? Let me tell you what not to do first. Don't go on the li- online and do those, like, spiritual gifts uh, assessments, right? <laughs> it's those, those, like, those things are not, they're not all bad. Not saying they're all bad. It's just that it's about you. It's like they ask you a question, and then you answer it. You don't know yourself that well. Part of understanding your gifts is being with people. When you're around people and you're serving, then you, people go, oh, okay, I think you may have the gift of this, or you may have the gift of this. Because one of those, I took one just to do it. One of them says, like, when you teach, do you sense the power of God and people being moved? Yeah, sure, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and really, when you teach, everyone's falling asleep. Like, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't gauge that. So part of it is, is first and foremost, read the Bible. And read through 1 Corinthians, read through uh, Romans 12, um, read through uh, Peter, and read through the gifts and just say, God, what do you have for me? Let me just tell you this, guys. You don't need to exactly know your gift. You don't need to know it, like, exactly. I mean, it's very helpful. But if you don't know your gift right now, don't, I'm lacking. No, you, it's good to know it. And so the way you pursue it is you pursue it in community with other people. They will begin to acknowledge it. I never woke up one morning and said, you know what? I think I have the gift of teaching. I start, I was coaching football. And as coaching football, I said, I'm going to have some guys over my house, and I'm going to start doing a Bible study with coaches. Oh, I'm going to start doing a Bible study with players. And then that started happening, and I started liking it, and, people, and then uh, some older men in my life said, hey, you're pretty good at this. And I started doing other things and other things. I did an internship for a whole year um, where I did announcements. I messed up every announcement every single week. And some of you guys were a part of 710 at that time. It was horrible, right? And then the last week of my internship, uh, Tyler Johnson said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to preach. And I said, wow, you're going to actually give me an opportunity to preach? And I taught, and he's like, hey, you may have the gift. And I didn't think I did, but God kept blessing. It didn't happen like I took this test, and it told me, you have the gift of prophecy, tongues, right? No. So you do it within community, and then so here's a grid to think through, okay? The first one is affinity, the second is ability, and the third is opportunity. So affinity is you look up, and you say, what are the needs around what are the needs around me um, that I vibe with, you know, that I, I like? The second one is ability. What can I do? What abilities do I have? And then third is opportunity. Like, what are just needs that just need to be done? When it comes to a church, you start at the bottom. Just what needs to be done. Does someone need to hold communion? I'll hold communion. I don't know if I have the spiritual gift of holding communion. Do people need to be prayed for? Do people need to be set down? Do people need to be greeted? Do people need to know where things are going? Do people need to be in children's ministry? Do people need to have RCs? Do people need to have food at RCs? Just start serving each other. People sick, I visit them in the hospital. Do people need food? I'll bring them food. Just start serving people. Then you will look like your Savior. Jesus, who embodied all the gifts, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, I didn't come in this world to be served. I came to serve. And if that's our Savior, that's the leader of it all, and he's uh, giving us these gifts We should start by serving, and as we serve, we'll begin to understand, okay, what abilities do I have? 
And then that's abilities, what are the needs that I can be in, begin to use? And you're able to use those particular gifts. But you start first with ser- ser- serving. Let me, let me close with this. If there's fragmentation, like I said before, it's because we are not serving and living life together. Church is not an event, people. It's a family. It's an organism. It's living. It's what God is breathing his spirit through. And the way that we function best is by people giving, by people serving, and and completely giving all of themselves to Jesus and to each other. When that happens, Jesus says this, when that happens, it's called loving each other, then people will begin to know him. And that happens as God begins to build us together. So don't leave here feeling insecure because you don't have this gift or you don't have that gift. No, no, no. You have gifts. Begin serving, and you begin to see those gifts come to the surface as men and women around you begin to acknowledge those gifts. Amen? It's about God. At the end of the day, it's not about the gifts. It's about the giver. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have given us gifts or you've given us tongues, you've given us prophecy, you've given us healing, you've given us teaching gifts, you've given us preaching gifts, you've given us gifts of helps, gifts of service, you've given us administrative gifts, organization gifts. Lord, the gifts in themselves are not even exhaustive. More importantly, you've given us yourself. And there's nothing that we can have to substitute that. There's nothing we can do to substitute that we know you and we are known by you supremely in your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you would equip us that you would teach us, you would strengthen us, and you would unite us together as one, that we would be able to live out loud for each other and building up the church and for the community around us to see the flourishing of your kingdom here in Tempe and through the ends of the earth. God, help us to be humble. You're the one who gives the gift. Help us to serve because it's for the betterment and the improvement and the growing of the common good. God, help us to acknowledge that it's not us only cultivating our gifts, but the empowerment of your spirit through us. God, we thank you, and I personally thank you for this church and all that you brought here. In Jesus' name, amen.